Good morning. For those of you who don't, uh, don't know me, I haven't met yet, I'm Steve. I am the Associate Pastor of Discipleship here at Grand Rapids Evangelical Free Church. Now, this morning, we are going to continue our series called Broken, uh, and we will be hitting on an issue that matters to all of us, namely, how do we relate with each other? Now, before we can really move ahead and dig into our, our relationships with others, it's actually important that we look back at where we've been, uh, because each sermon in this series has been building on the foundation of those that have gone before it. So, so here's, here's just a couple of the key themes we've been building upon. We began the series having our eyes open to the brokenness that defines the world we live in. in the, from the physical world around us to the very depths of the human heart, brokenness is everywhere. Yet, at the deepest depth of brokenness, the epicenter of the destruction that rocked the entire nature of our world it was a relationship that was broken. See, Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3 it turned away from God and declared independence from him. They, they withdrew their love from him, and as a result, their love turned in on themselves. They, and I would say we as well, became selfish lovers, leaving God out of the center of our lives. And this, when we talk about sin, this is, this is the core of sin. Loving things over God. Loving other things rather than God. Yet God, being rich in love, pursued us even though we were already condemned. See, we love darkness rather than light. Other things rather than Jesus. And 1 John 4 9 through 11, talks about God's love this way. And this is, listen to this, this is from the NIV. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, Jesus willingly came. He absorbing the wrath that we deserve, becoming cursed in our place. He was broken for us that we might be brought back into a love relationship with God. And, and this is the relationship that we will get to enjoy forever if we enter into it with him experiencing the greatness of this gift, the opportunity to enter into this relationship, means that we've also, we also experience a heartfelt realization of the depths of our own brokenness, the depths of our sin in how we relate with God and others. So let's just take a step back for a second and bring all of these pieces together. In the series Broken, we've seen how broken has already played out in our lives and in our relationships with God. So we started with seeing how broken the world is, filled with sin and its effects. We saw how we are a part of that brokenness. 
enslaved by our own sin and our relational, relational separation from God. And then how Jesus came and he was broken for us. Taking on our brokenness and the punishment for us on the cross so that our relationship with God could be restored. And this opens the door for us to be free in him so that we can be broken again and our hearts can be ready to receive the relationship God has for us with a spirit of humility before him. So when we're putting, when we're using these words broken, when we're talking about this process, it's a, it's a lot like this. Imagine a person who has every vital bone in their body broken and they fused back together without ever having been properly healed. In fact, this person went on living life as if everything was fine and normal and never realizing that the way they were made to live was completely impossible because of their brokenness. For this person to ever find healing, they need to encounter the depths of their own brokenness and be willing to have their bones rebroken in order for true healing and restoration to take place. In other words, they need to come to the end of themselves and and be humble in order to be truly restored. Now, while this is a physical illustration, we have to recognize that even with this imaginary person, the deepest issue will relate with their heart. Will they seek out a relationship with one who can mercifully heal them, that they will trust? Or do they continue living life on their own as it has been on their own terms? Last week we looked at what it looks like to realize the depths of our brokenness before God. And that when we turn in true repentance, it results in humility before him. Humility that draws us into loving obedience and worship of God. This morning, we're going to look at how that actually spills over into our relationships with one another. We'll first look at what moves us towards or blocks us from other-centeredness. And then we're going to look at the purpose behind other-centeredness. So to do this, we're actually going to return to Psalm 51, which we looked at last week, where we focus on David's prayer of repentance to God after he was confronted with his sin by Nathan the prophet. So this morning, we're going to be zooming in on the psalm again and see how our relationship with God spills out into our relationships with other people and even our heartfelt connections with them. So we're going to pick back up and we're going to start in verse 10. And if you have a Bible with you this morning, or or maybe a Bible app on your phone, I would encourage you to follow along with me. These verses are are also going to be up on the screen in front of you, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. So this is David praying to God, starting in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or, or take your Holy Spirit from me, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. 
deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, do not despise. So here's our first big point this morning. The state of our heart before God determines our responses to other people. See, at this point in the psalm, David had recognized that his sin was first and ultimately against God. And if we were to jump back to verse 4 in the psalm, we would see that. But see, now David had decided that he, as king, had a right to sleep with another man's wife. And when it was discovered that she was pregnant by him, and he realized that he would be found out, he arranged a situation where the husband would be ensured to die in battle. In other words, David murdered him. See, David had clearly just sinned against several people. And the husband and wife are just some of the obvious ones. In fact, he literally destroyed their relationship. So why did David view his sin as being first and ultimately against God? Because he realized before he had ever acted out his desires, before any actions, he had already decided in his heart that he had the right to decide what was right or wrong for his life, independent from God. The actions that he took towards Bathsheba and Uriah were just a a result of the state of his heart before God. So here's a reminder for your notes. Sin blocks our relationship with God and with people. So let's look at how this affected David's relationship with Uriah. So if we were to look back at 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 39, and and we're not going to read it here for sake of time. It's, It's a very long chunk of text. But if we were to look at it, we would find a listing of the most trusted warriors friends, and in a sense, the bodyguards of David. They were, they, they, there was even a title for these dudes. These are known as David's mighty men. And, and as a dude, I'm like, yeah! Okay, all right. These are the guys who have stuck with David through the high and low times in his life. They have literally risked life and limb because of their love for David. In fact, even in, the, in these very passages is a story of some of these mighty men crossing into an enemy camp to get David a drink of water from that well simply because David said he was thirsty. David didn't order him to go. They said, he's thirsty, we care about him, we're going. Now, as you read through this listing, it's quite impressive. And you get a taste of the bond as brothers in battle that is between these men. And at the very end of this listing, the final one mentioned is Uriah the Hittite. Now, we don't have the full story of how close Uriah was with David, 
But the mention of him among David's mighty men would indicate that there would be more of a relationship with him and David than just some random dude off the street. It means that Uriah, too, would have been a part of the most core section of David's army and would have risked much out of love for David. Yet, David slept with, his, with Uriah's wife. And when he discovered she was pregnant, invited Uriah home to sleep with her to cover it up. But Uriah refused to go home. So as a result, David made a judgment call for himself as well as for Uriah. He decided that Uriah was disposable and had him killed off on the battlefield. Now, this is one of David's mighty men who loved and valued David above themselves. And David, in return, would have loved and greatly valued them. So the question is, what changed? David gave in to his desires and, looking out for himself, took the right on himself to decide the worth of the people around him instead of God. And the result is it blocked his love, his relationship towards Uriah. And he decided that as king, he deserved to have Uriah's wife. And it didn't matter who she she was or even that she was already married. David took on God's role in his life. And one result of that was not only disregarding his relationship with Uriah, but going so far as to treat Uriah as if he had no value at all. Now, we can look at this as an example and and clearly see the selfishness of David. His own sinful desires had walled him off from relationship with Uriah. Yet, this is also true for all of us. Our own sinful desires also block us off from selflessly loving one another. In a letter to the followers of Jesus, whose relationships with one another in a church were in shambles, James says this, and it's going to be up on the screen. This is James 4, 1 through 6. So James is talking to to this church and saying, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And I would say that's both personally as well as in a community. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James is revealing to this church and to us that just like David, these followers of Jesus had turned inward, concerned ultimately with what is most pleasing for themselves on their own terms, and leaving God out of the picture. Yet this is the exact opposite of the freedom and unity that God is bringing us to in him 
through the spirits. This church was caught in self-centeredness. And in their pride, they were saying, I don't need or want people in my life. I only need to look out for myself. And the result was that their love for one another was blocked and broken. And notice that the root issue here is not that they have physically committed adultery with someone else, or even that they've killed someone else, but that by giving their love to other things rather than God, they were committing adultery against God. The first issue is their hearts before God. And as they turned inward on themselves, the resulting issue was that they cut off other people from their lives, declaring independence from God and from others. So if you're taking notes this morning, here here would be an application. As God's people, a restored relationship with Christ calls us to restored relationships with others. We just spent some time looking at how pride, independence, selfishness before God also leads to pride, independence from, and selfishness in our relationships with others. So let's compare that with a heart that is right before God. And here we're going to jump back to David's realizations in Psalm 51, 16 and 17. So let me read this for you again. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Now see, David is repenting from his sin, and he recognizes that what is most important before God is the state of his heart. Now, if we were to read through the Old Testament, especially the first five books of the Bible we'll find that there are laws about sacrifices and burnt offerings that are to be made when people sin against God. And David, who was also living before Jesus came, would have known and also would have been subject to those laws. Yet here David rightly says that, what God, that God does not delight in the sacrifices. Instead, what David says that he will bring to God and that God will not despise is a heart that is humble before him. So so what does this mean? Is David ignoring the law? Or is he really holding on to the heart of the issue? Now, let me ask you a different question to just help illustrate this. Is it possible for someone to come up to you and ask forgiveness without the slightest bit of remorse for what they've done? The answer is absolutely. Someone can say sorry and even do the right things to pay for the damage, and that can be physically or in the relationship, and not actually really be genuinely sorry and repentant. In other words, people can do the right things before God and others, and their hearts can still be focused inward on themselves. What David is saying is that God delights in is a restored relationship with him, 
where we humbly come before him and our hearts, instead of going away from him and our desires, they are realigned with God's. This is why Jesus says, quoting the law in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, is that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And that's Luke 10, 27. See, what the law does is it simply exposes the heart issues that we already have. So how did David's humility before God affect his relationship with others? Let's put Psalm 51 back up on the screen. This is David after he has encountered the depths of his sin and he is broken over it before God. And he says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And notice, David would have already counted himself as one of these. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David, as his heart is realigned with God's heart, encounters not a God who is proud or vindictive, or self-obsessed, but one who is instead overflowing with goodness as God rejoices in the restored relationship between him and David. And, And even though there's consequences in David's life and the lives of those as well that David sinned against, God is merciful towards him and David is humbled. He's broken before God. And here is the remi- here, here's a reminder for your notes. True humility begins with brokenness before God. And why is this? Because when our hearts are broken before God, we turn, having our hearts realigned, and when we do, we discover that God himself is humble. Now, I recognize that is a loaded statement, And it is well worth spending a lot of time digging into. Uh, For this morning, we're going to simply leave it at this. Look to and remember Jesus. If God were not humble, then Jesus never would have been born into the world. He never would have lived life where he was misunderstood by his best friends, where he was rejected by his own people, where he suffered and died on the cross in our place and then rose again from the dead to share with us and to bring us into the love relationship that he has with his heavenly father. So what does this humility look like in our lives? It looks like Psalm 51, 13. David recognizes the mercy that he has received And it moves him to the point where he wants others to receive it too. Instead of a heart of pride and independence before God, now David has a heart of dependence and gives worship in thankfulness to God. 
And in the same way, David is no longer prioritizing himself in his relationship, having a heart independent from other people, but is instead seeking others out, letting the exposure of his own sinful brokenness and God's mercy be used for their benefit. See, in thankfulness and joy to God, David has a passion to help others find the same freedom that he has because of what God has done in his life. This is humility before God. And it spills over into our relationships with others. Now, here's an application for your, uh, an application point. Humility before God moves us from independence to dependence and the joyful giving of ourselves to others. Now, as I was preparing and putting this together, I actually had to pause for a moment and and really let this sink in in even my own life. Humility before God moves us from independence to dependence and the joyful giving of ourselves to others. See, in my own heart, it's easy to thank God for the mercy and love that I have received from him, and yet cut that off in how I relate with others. It it can feel easy to to apply that to our relationship with God and forget that it also applies to our relationships with each other. And this includes those who are unified together with us in Jesus, other believers. We come, before God hum- we come before God humbly, but yet in our pride, we say, I don't need anyone else in my life. We believe that our relationship with God is just a me and Jesus thing. Yet not only do we forget that that's not actually true, see, we, we need people in our, in our lives walking with us towards Jesus but we also dismiss the fact that other people need people just like that in their life too. We become self-focused in our relationships with each other. And then we come to verses like 1 John 4, 9 through 11. Let's put that back up on the screen. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, he pursued us, sought us out, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that broken relationship. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also also ought to love each other. Now, as we're talking about how we love others, and then read a passage like this, it is really easy to let one word color how we hear everything else in those verses. Ought. It becomes something that we we have to put on our checklist to do and and do it once and maybe call it complete. Or or we hear it as a task that we have been assigned to do. But if we focus so much on that one word, we actually miss the focus of the passage. And what is that? Focusing on the love and humility of Jesus 
recognizing our dependence on him and how his love and humility spills out over onto us. So then in thankfulness and joy, we can look to intentionally draw others into the same love relationship that we have with Jesus. And it shifts everything. It moves us from an I ought to love others to an I get to love others. And the result is that we get to freely give our hearts and lives to others. Now, to put a visual illustration of, of what, how all these relationships impact each other, I'm going to put a picture up on the screen that we use in student ministries. And if you've been here for a while, you've probably seen this pop up from time to time, or, or maybe you've noticed it on some of the t-shirts that we wear, and you might have wondered, what is, what is that all about? At the top of the image is a water faucet. And this image is to remind us of God pouring his love out into our hearts by his spirit. The love is pictured by the water. And as we respond to him in a new, renewed relationship, we are to become immersed in his love. We are represented here in this picture as the O in the middle of the love word, where the water is being poured out into it. And to help bring this point home, Immerse is also the name of our junior high ministries. Being immersed in his love. But the picture doesn't stop there. God's love is also pouring out intentionally through us as we look to draw others to taste of God's goodness through us so that they may respond to him too. So it's like the, the water pouring through the O to the V. God's love pouring through us and us giving of ourselves. See, we look to intentionally infuse God's goodness and love into others' lives in our relationships both with God and others. And infuse is also the name of our high school ministry. This whole picture comes together. It's All of this is so that they too may come, other people may come and be immersed in a love relationship with Jesus and turn around and infuse others. However, this whole process is dependent on our relationship with God, on our own humility and dependence upon God. See, if we declare independence from God in an area in our lives, it's like moving the cup away from the water to other sources. And the process breaks down and cuts off our relationship upwardly with God. And the result is it actually cuts off our relationships with others as well. Now, you could say, wow, that's a really cool youth group logo. But, but I, honestly, that's not the point at all. The point is that humility before God moves us from independence to dependence and giving. Which is true if you're a student, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're married or single. In fact, together with one another as followers of Jesus, this is actually the entire, this is our entire mission in the world. So Jesus, before going to the cross, pours out his heart before the Father for us, his people. And he prays over the mission that he is sharing 
inviting his disciples into. And we find this in John 17. And you can follow along uh, as I read it up off the screen here. This is John 17, 20 through 23. And this is Jesus praying. I do not ask for these only. These are his original 12 disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Oops, sorry, I skipped one. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. See, Jesus is praying that just as he and the Father are one, unified in a perfectly loving relationship, that we also would share the same oneness of relationship with him and with one another as as his disciples. In other words... Just as we need him, and he gave himself for us, we also are to be in step with his heart, passing that on to one another as Jesus' beloved, his church, his disciples. So broken before him and dependent on him, we are to also move towards others, intentionally giving of our hearts and lives selflessly, to draw one another closer to Jesus. And the result is that we too share the oneness with one another that we have with Jesus. We are free to love one another in and through Jesus. Now, if we're going to be honest, this kind of selfless love is attractive. Is attractive. It's, it is whole, unbroken, healing love. It points us to something that is greater than ourselves and better than being trapped in selfish love. And when we, as followers of Jesus, move towards this kind of relational oneness and love, it points the world to the fact that we have something to offer. In fact, our giving of ourselves is not just for one another as the followers of Jesus, but it is to spread the mercy and love that we have received to everyone we meet. Our oneness has a purpose. And it is so that the world may know that the Father sent Jesus and loves others just as the Father loves Jesus. In other words, even our oneness with each other is not to be self-focused, but it is to be an open door, an invitation a pursuit of others that they may share with us in the love and mercy that we have in Jesus. Here's a key point for our time this morning. Humility before God leads us to be others-centered. So what does it look like to see this in action in our lives? Let me give a, a few quick application points. Here's the first. Take time this week to intentionally 
dwell on the goodness and mercy of God in our lives. And this isn't just what he has done for us, but who he is. And then spend some time thanking and worshiping God for who he is. For an application for your notes, I might put it this way. Let God's character move you to thankfulness. Take some time to dwell on God's heart, both individually and with others. One really practical way would be to, to take some time over lunch as a family and share moments where you've seen God's mercy and love in your own life. It could be a big moment that comes to mind or even something as simple as looking back over the past week and seeing God at work in everyday moments in your life. Here's a second application. Intentionally bring others into your relational world to walk with them towards Jesus. Now, one intentional pathway that we have here at the church to help us do this is actually community groups. The very heart of community groups is that we draw close to one another and God in our relationships. And then that we would turn outward asking the question, who else? And making space for them in our lives. And one short plug. If if you're here this morning and you would like to know more about what that looks like or like to know more about community groups, maybe even be a part of one, come talk to me after the service. I would love to share that with you. Here's another way. Invite somebody who you are not related to into your family time. Now, maybe this is you inviting someone out to lunch with you today after the service and and having them listen and and even share with you the goodness and mercy of God that they've seen in their own life. Or maybe it's having someone over in the middle of the day sharing with one another the goodness of God in the midst of the everyday stuff of life. Now, can I, can I mention something totally crazy? If you're a stay-at-home parent and you have young kids, you can make a huge impact on others, especially young adults, simply by inviting them into your home and sharing your home life with them. Yes, even if the kids are climbing the walls, or if it looks like Godzilla ran amok through your whole house. And why do I say this? Because I've had friends do it with me. And it gave me a picture from the inside of a family, simply sharing life with each other and moving together towards Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And this is something that Faith and I try to model with God's energy and guidance, both in parenting Titus and sharing life with others. And the question is, is it making a difference helping other people walk towards Jesus? My answer to that is, I would invite you to ask our community group, the young adults, which we termed gathering, and see what they say. Because what we're doing isn't anything extraordinary. It's, it's hangout time. It's laughing and having fun together. It's, it's making cookies. It's, it's eating dinner together. It's, it's griping about the fact that it's still snowing outside. It's seriously nothing extraordinary. 
maybe other than the amount of food we make. It's really just the ordinary, everyday moments of life, walking with Jesus, walking together with them towards Jesus. And what we're doing is just trying to and learning how to share our hearts and lives with others. And you can do it too. Maybe it's inviting coworkers over to watch some favorite shows after the game and getting to know them more. Whatever it may be or look like, look for ways to intentionally bring others into your relational world and walk with them towards Jesus. Look to Jesus with humility before God and let it lead us all towards other-centeredness. Let's pray.